Right. He's also not a history lesson. We're not Civil War reenactors. We are having a personal relationship with a living God who's currently acting in our life. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer. I don't know why I'm talking like that. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined by my plucky co-host, Dave the Cheddar Van Bickle. How you doing, Dave? Lucky I'm good. I'm good. Hey, uh, I you know I'm always like 20 years behind everything yes, else. Yes. Okay. Especially with technology. So I started my own Facebook forum. Oh, oh, that must have taken you hours yeah. and hours and hours. <laughs> Stop. I'm not that bad. Uh, it's called the Catholic Spiritual Warfare Forum. The Catholic. And I'm excited about Spiritual it. Warfare Forum. That sounds forum. Exhausting. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, it's exciting because uh, I'm going to let people like ask questions, and I'm going to recruit people to help answer the questions. So it's not just me, and I'm going to post a bunch of stuff. Like if people want to learn about uh, about spiritual warfare, it'd be like a great place to join. I'm excited. You know, I, when I travel around and give those talks, people are always like, "Where can we email you more questions?" And I get like thirty to forty emails, well, sometimes even in just a day, on these questions, like right after these talks. And so this would be a place that I can push people to, to ask the question there and we can all learn together. So my question is how many times do you think a week once at, at the end of this calendar year, once this gets a little bit popular, how many times do you think people are going to ask the yoga question to you a week? How many? <laughs> uh, probably once a day. I would say okay. once a day. I'm going to say a lot more. I probably that. get an e- I probably get an email once a day about the yoga question. <laughs> I probably get it once a day. It's real hot right now because I'm tr- so one of those like kind of celebrity-esque priests posted the other day there's no such thing as catholic yoga and so everyone's like weighing in on their on their opinions and stuff like that so i love it i love it i love it how you just ruin people what do people what should people (laughs) do if they want an alternative to yoga that still is as good as yoga for stretching part um do you know what um there um there is something there's something that a few people there's a few different like venues or modes that people have invented that are catholic And I, I, I can't what, remember. What was the one like, like Pieta P- Fitness or something? Yeah, like? yeah, Pietra fit, Fitness or something. Yeah, Pietra. And I don't know much about them, but I know that that was what they founded it on. But um, but they the the founder just emailed me the other day and said, you know, I'd love to like, could would you promote it at your talks? And I was like, oh yeah, I mean, if it's a if it's an actual alternative, I'd be happy to to kind of team up with you. But you know, anyways. So, what do you got going on? Oh, what do I have going on? I. I'm about to go to Miami and then Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Super excited about that. Cool. Miami, I'm cool, not yeah. super excited about, not because of the people. That, Why? I'm going to I know Miami. Because, let me tell you, every time I go to Miami, I play Will Smith's Welcome to Miami over and over again. <laughs> that the people taking me from the airport hate me by the time they get me to the venue. But I'm jamming. And then secondly, it's not. The, awesome. the people are great. The program is great. The ministry is fun. But it's my most uh, me at my most uncomfortable. Middle okay. schoolers. Okay, sure. Twelve. Oh my gosh! Hours. Why did you say yes? Because to that? Oh, there no. is a thing about middle school ministry. I don't know if you know this, but yeah. I used to do middle school youth ministry when I started layevangelist.com so that I could travel on the weekends and Edge was during the week. But there is a funny thing about middle school ministry. I hate so much of it, but those kids. This is going to sound very cliche. They keep me young. 
I'm not going to. I mean, there is something hilarious. Right. They're like telling you. Yeah. Hilariously right, right. fun I get about it. being with middle schoolers. So I'm not looking it. forward to it, but I kind of secretly really am. <laughs> I, when I, I, the last time I was in Miami for a, for a retreat. Wait, last time you were like where? In Miami. The, that place with the sunset low? <laughs> You're so that's so ridiculous. Uh, uh, it was like um, we somebody like they took me to, like to see the sights, and we went down to like the the bay or whatever. And it was so strange to. I mean, it's it is a different world. Oh yeah, like it is. Just, it like those people. It was just amazing. Like everyone there looked like they were in a magazine. Yeah. That's what it, that's what it looked like, and it was just like it was it was bizarre. Yeah, you you, you, you get there and you're people. like. Well, everyone here looks like they could be a model in a magazine, so I'm here to skew the average in the other direction. <laughs> yeah, right, oh yeah, right. Oh right. yeah, yeah. And I was they, we went on one of those like celebrity boat tours. And no, I was you like, didn't. I don't even like, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and I was like, I don't even like celebrities. Like, why are we doing this? You know. And then they were like, they pointed out. Um, they, uh, I'm trying to think whose house it even was, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, look at that!" House. You know, I was like totally into it. That is so funny. I yeah. hate celebrity yeah. culture, celebrity fascination culture. Yeah, me too. I despise me too. it me so too. much, and yet, and yet, every so often, there's one of those sneaky headlines that works its way into my Twitter feed. It's like, <laughs> "What are these celebrities wearing to the, the Kardashians? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are the Kardashians wearing to this year's Academy Awards?" I'm like, "Why are they even right. there?" <laughs> And it's like one of the youngest we- Kardashian women is the richest young person in the world. Oh my goodness, she should get into ministry. That's what we need. We, what we need. <laughs> <laughs> she should totally. She would rock it. Well, now, now Kanye, now Kanye West is on our side, right? We're, dude, get ready for the second coming. Kanye West has now decided he's only doing gospel music. I, isn't that isn't that so, so bizarre? That, that is, I think that's a sign of the second coming of Christ when Kanye West turns to yeah, my, gospel he, music. He did an event out in Dayton, Ohio with like Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle's from Dayton. And my buddy Luke Carey okay. is there from Catching Foxes. And Luke uh, went to the concert. And then I said, what else did you do? And he said, well, then the next day was Sunday. And Kanye West led a service in the park where they did the, their comedy show. No, he show. did not. Yeah, and Luke went to it. I would it. definitely go to it. Luke that. went to it. I would definitely said, go to it. I, yeah, I, know. I said, how was it? And he goes, I'm not kidding. It was incredible. I was like, I, I give up on this world. This is the weirdest timeline. Yeah, I know that right. God cannot, right. like, I know he's free to create whatever universe he wants, but this is definitely the weirdest timeline ever. Right. Do you think that if he becomes successful as, like, a preacher, that you and I could become successful as rappers? Yes. Yes. All I, right. Dear All Jesus, right. I hope that's true. I'm going to go get a Hummer. I'm going <laughs> to leverage everything I own to buy a Hummer. Well, it's time to get gold fronts. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about today? Uh, nothing. That was it. Goodbye. No, we are. We have a we have a topic. No, right. so today, we do have a topic, yeah. and you're the one that brought this to me. So I'm going to give you the honors of telling it to our fine folks. All right, we're going to call this episode "In Defense of a Personal Relationship with Jesus Christ," and we don't mean literally we're going to defend having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but we're kind of defending the language of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Lately, I've seen a few things just you know in the volatile world of social media about uh, just kind of accusatory things about that phrase, saying that it's not Catholic and that it doesn't come from Catholic origins, and there couldn't be anything more. Uh, you know, just it, it just really gets under my skin for someone to say something like that. Now I understand where they're coming from. 
they don't feel like that's the vocabulary that the church has used. But unfortunately, that's just not true. And so today we want to talk about why would we shy away from using the language of a personal relationship with Jesus? What you know, what the response would be? What are the possible reasons people do that? But then also, what is the best way to express a personal relationship with Jesus within a Catholic context? Um, because it's something that all of us have to get over, right? This is this is where we. This is where the rubber meets the road. I think if a lot of people probably have this experience of a friend or a family member leaving uh, the Catholic Church and joining maybe a megachurch or something, and when you ask them, they just say, well, I never found Jesus in the Catholic Church, or, or in the megachurch is where I found my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, so I met Jesus. And so we have to really make sure that people are not confused about the fact that that is exactly what we're prescribing, a personal relationship with Jesus within a Catholic context. And I want to say this. When Protestants convert to Catholicism, they look back with fondness on their Protestantism, and they say, thank God it introduced me to Christ in Scripture. When they look back on their Catholic faith as they leave the Catholic Church and convert to Protestantism, many times they look with disgust on their Catholic faith because they say – now, again, this is part of the doctrinal differences that obviously will come up in the cultural differences. But they'll say, you gave me formulas, but you never gave me Christ. You never gave me Christ. And so the, the fascinating thing is over and over again, you hear this in hundreds of converts to Catholicism, knowing Jesus personally changed the way, like uh, having that personal relationship with Jesus Christ ignited and amplified my sacramental reception of him, right? It didn't, the sacraments didn't replace having a need for a personal relationship. The personal faith that I had just was blown and amplified, blown up and amplified by the sacraments. They are not antithetical to one another. So I think that's where we're going to kind of explore this. Now, we've talked about this in past episodes, but me and Dave are like, we hear this so often in Catholic circles. Right. We should take right. a whole episode so the next time you hear it, you can just forward it off to your buddy, your priest, your whoever saying that, your blog of choice, and just say, yeah. maybe you should listen to this first. Anyhow. Right. Yeah. You know, so let's talk about some things that people bring up. Uh, that would be, you know, they they consider the the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as kind of a Protestant thing. That that would be one of the first things that people say is that it's just not Catholic. It's a Protestant thing. Here here's like one of the issues with that is that first of all, it it dis, it basically expresses a lack of depth for the the church the breadth of the church's teaching right that when you get into teachings like on the sacred heart of jesus on the eucharist you will see a beautiful beautiful just outlining of the fact that all of us are called to this deeply personal relationship and most especially by the most recent popes right pope yeah. john paul ii pope uh, benedict xvi very very much used this strict evangelical language of having personal a personal faith, a personal relationship with Jesus. And so it's just not true that someone would be able to say like, well, that's not the way the Catholic Church talks about it. Now, I understand because a lot of Catholics don't say, this is when my personal relationship with Jesus started. But a lot of Catholics don't say a lot of things that the Church teaches. And it's very clear from the whole breadth of the Church's teaching, from the fathers up until today, that that's exactly what we're trying to get at, is this daily living personal relationship with Jesus. And to me, um, I don't know if any book expresses it 
in a better way than the soul of the apostolate. And I don't remember exactly the the paragraph, but I remember there's a paragraph where he's talking about, does Jesus inform my decisions? Is he my Lord? Is he my guide? Is he my map? Is he my counselor? Is he all these things? That's what we're talking about. Having a daily personal relationship with Jesus just means, do we go to him for all things? And do we speak to him? Do we allow him to speak to us? And do we involve him as the as the center of our life in everything that we do, right? If that's not Catholic, then then we're crazy, right? Yeah. We're crazy. That's exactly what the church teaches. I think one of the reasons why it gets distorted in Catholic circles is it's, it's too closely attached to modernist individualism in one sense. And I think it's too closely associated with uh, a heretical view called immanentism. And this immanentism yeah. is like we ignore the transcendence of God we ignore the fact that he is, a, you know, he is holy other, right? He is, you know, he's God, and we're creatures. We're finite. We're sinners, right? And so sometimes it sounds like, and I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase. You probably have, like me and Jesus or um, buddy Jesus or Jesus alone, where they have this idea where they kind of craft this thing where it's like, if like my Christianity is what I do in the privacy of my own room, and that's it. It's just this spiritual connection I have to God, and through faith alone, and that's what makes me a follower of Jesus, and that's it. And when you take it from that perspective, which I think is largely a distortion, I don't. I think that's a a caricature. Right. Like Protestants and Catholics don't read the Bible, and you know they they just you know they go out and sin because they know they can go to confession. Like that's a caricature of the reality. Right. That maybe you'll find an example here and there, but it's not really the reality. Um, I think that's a caricature of Protestant Christian. Now, I know there are some that espouse that, and maybe even some pastors that espouse that, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, very specifically, is who are you as a person, right? Now, let's use the Pope John Paul II language of personalism. You are unique right. and irrepeatable as a human person. There will never be another you, right? And so all that makes you a person— your history, your genetic code, right? Your family of origin, but also your spirituality, your your um, your reason, your hopes, your joys, the things you want, the thing, the, your family, like all of these things that make you you, your temperament, right? All that stuff goes into your relationship with God, right? Uh, so, uh, so it, it, you know, the 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 issue is right here is that what Gomer was bringing up is that you know having a personal relationship with Jesus almost negates the idea of having a relationship in any other way and that that's the problem is that yeah. when we say having a personal relationship with Jesus we don't mean that you don't need to have a church relationship with Jesus in fact when when a catholic says having a personal relationship with Jesus it it even more includes the church, right? Because the church and Christ are one, right? The church is Christ's spouse. And so you can't separate the two. So for, for me to say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I, I say, of course I do. And I have it in a more intimate way than you could possibly imagine because I also have this beautiful relationship with his spouse who he is one with. So don't think for a second that when Catholics are saying, oh, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, that we're somehow giving up on doctrine or we're giving up on Catholic culture. No, 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 no. What we're doing is expressing that in the most in the most real way in the church. And here is the Catechism 2558. This mystery of faith then requires that the faithful believe in it, that they celebrate it, and that they live from it in a vital 
and personal relationship with the Boom. living and true God. This Boom. relationship is prayer. So the other day I'm teaching, uh, I'm on the fourth class for inquiry. And I got these people who are unbaptized. Some of them are baptized, but not really well catechized, but most of them are unbaptized. And they're there. And I say, listen, we're going to read the church fathers. We're going to read scripture. We're going to read the catechism. We're going to do a lot of intellectual stuff. But I need you to understand that none of this matters if you aren't praying, because none of this matters unless you have a personal and vital relationship with Christ. I use that phrase all the time. Sometimes I say living and vital, which is so stupid because vital means living. <laughs> right, but right. a vital and personal living relationship. Living and living. Yeah. A living and living <laughs> relationship with God. Double the living, double the fun. But the, at the core of it, right, is this notion of um, not just that it is personal meaning of everything that has to do with me as a person, but it also is a recalling that Jesus, the guy that preached 2,000 years ago, died on a cross, resurrected from the dead, and ascended into heaven, that that Jesus is still is still alive, and he is a personal right. being. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the very heart of the Trinity is the you know, trifold personality with the one nature. And so we can have a personal relationship with God because he's personal. He's not the force. And you can't have a personal relationship with the force. Try as George Lucas might. And so our goal <laughs> is to understand that we are persons and all that means. And then God have being a d- three divine persons. What does that mean for us? Right. He's also not a history lesson. We're not Civil War reenactors. We are having a personal relationship with a living God who's currently acting in our life. It's not something that we're remembering. It's not like an old an old friend or a family member that died a long time ago and we remember them. It's literally that he now wants to act in our life, wants to speak to us, wants to hear from us. And in a, in a very personal way, I found that paragraph from from the soul of the apostle. This is the third truth. And he says, oh, quote, so I good. would deprive myself. I would deprive myself of one of the most powerful means of acquiring this interior life if I did not strive to have in my heart a precise, lively faith in this active presence of Jesus in my spo- in my soul, especially to obtain that this presence be to me a living reality, penetrating more and more into the life of my faculties, Jesus becoming my, in this way, my light, my ideal, my counsel, my support, my resource, my strength, my, my, uh, my healer, my consolation, my joy, my love, in a word, my life, I shall acquire all virtues. Now, if that is not describing a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't know what is. And that book comes straight from the heart of the church. Yeah, so here is another quote that I love. It's from a book called On Spiritual Perfection. Anyone who loves God in the depths of his heart has already been loved by God. In fact, the measure of a man's love for God depends upon how deeply aware he is of God's love for him. And then you go right from that. This is These are some quotes that uh, our good friend Dr. Carol Brown assembled. Uh, Conversion means accepting by a personal decision. See, all that makes me a human person, by a personal decision, the saving sovereignty of Christ and becoming his disciple. That's from St. Pope John Paul II, Mission of the Redeemer, paragraph 46. I love that quote. Here's one from St. Teresa of Avila. Again, this is a treasure trove of quotes on a personal relationship. Mental prayer, in my opinion 
is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. The important thing is not to think much, but to love much. And so do that which best stirs you to love. Love is not great delight, but desire to please God in everything. And when we think about St. Thomas Aquinas, so the, one of the last things I was listening to on this was a criticism of, uh, by some Catholic uh, famous podcasters who will go nameless. They brought up the personal relationship angle and they began to attack it. They said, only in one verse, only in one verse does Jesus say, I once called you servants and now no longer, but now I call you friends. And see, this is the problem where you have the emphasis, the overemphasis on the transcendence of God and not yep. on the, yep. uh, the imminence that Christ, the word incarnate, brings. Christ is incarnate to make tangible the infinite love and power and justice and mercy and love of God and you know all that good stuff. So the imminence is Jesus is here. He came to us on our terms, as it were. We call it the divine condescension. Uh, condescension. He came down to our level. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard my father I have made known to you. So, I mean, you think about this, and St. Thomas, the most lofty and dry and rational of all our great theologians, said quite simply that happiness is friendship with God. And can we just point out the fact that them quoting that ver- that verse as a proof text, Scripture is – there is a, a full-on nuptial orientation to sacred Scripture – where it is clear that Christ is the bride and we are the bridegroom, yeah. right? So clear that it gets almost PG-13 rated at times. And and, and and you're reading this and we are the bride, right? That he, that, you know, you think of the song of songs, you don't get much more personal. You don't get much more of a personal relationship than, than this one flesh union that God in a certain sense is inviting us into in the Catholic Church. I know. And just go, Jesus the true vine uh, in John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another love as one I have loved you. So that's how he's phrasing the one commandment of the Christian life. Love one another as I have loved you. Not with your own fickle, crappy love, but with my transcendent, imminent, overwhelming love, right? And then the next verse is, th- this is how he describes, right, in, his, in, in John's version of the Last Supper discourse, this is how he describes his own mission. No greater love has man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, verse 14, if you do what I command you. 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. So, like, how powerful is this? How powerful is this to understand that the love of Jesus Christ, that the love that he has for us is absolutely personal, meaning he loves you as an individual person. St. Paul in Galatians chapter 220, and I'll stop with all the, the hammering of the verses. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer, no, I'm getting tongue tied. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, just listen to this ending and how absolutely beautifully personal it is. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Like, that is intensely personal. And yet, it is also the grounding of our corporate faith. In one sense, you can say what makes us the body of Christ is my individual consent to the teachings of the church, the faith of the church, the hope of the church, and the love of the church. But to say that I can love someone 
impersonally? What does that even mean in the Christian context? Right, right. So let's talk about this. Like, you know, what? How? To, a good way to describe a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in within a Catholic context. And and I and I will get PG thirteen here, okay? And I, I'm going to compare it to to a marriage relationship, okay? So let, let's talk about it like this. Imagine if a couple had this amazing physical relationship, but they never spoke to each other. That would be weird and awkward, right? I mean, that would be strange. It's a strange thing. But also on the other hand, imagine that a couple had this just amazing relationship where they spoke to each other and they knew each other's hearts and they knew each other's minds and they shared and they had a deep connection in in like a communication way, but they never, even though married, expressed their love physically. That would also be very strange. This is why I think so many people are disoriented in the Catholic Church because they are receiving Jesus in a physical way and never speaking to him the rest of the week. And this is also why we lose so much when we leave the Catholic Church, because you can still have a beautiful communicating relationship with Jesus, but you never receive him physically. This is strange, right? And the epitome of having that personal relationship is to speak to him, to listen to him, to let him romance you, and then to approach him and to receive him and become one with him in the Holy Eucharist. And not only becoming one with him in the Holy Eucharist, but saying, yes, I am part of the bride of Christ. He is one with the church. He and Christ, are, the church and Christ are one, right? And when they come together. And so it's very, very important that we understand it in this way. Uh, it couldn't get more important to the basis of our faith, right? That God wants to communicate himself to us both in every way, through teaching and through an actual physical union with us through the sacraments. And then think about it in the call of Christian discipleship. The call of Christian discipleship is a call to leave everything and follow Christ. When you do that within the context of the Jewish culture, you are literally destroying first century Judaism to the point where this great rabbi in his book, uh, Rabbi Meets Jesus, talks about that Jesus essentially leaves the individual Jew in the first century with a decision to follow Christ and abandon Israel or to follow what he called eternal Israel and abandon Jesus. He said that was the crucifixion of every uh, Jewish first century follower, because for instance, he would take the, the story where Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead instead of you going and burying your father. He's like, he, Jesus systematically is saying, I am more important than your bloodline, than your family, than every, than your business, right? Leave this and I'll make you fishers of men, right? If you follow me, he's destroying families in one sense because he's calling individuals out of those families into a newer, bigger, better, essentially a divine family, right? But we don't have that sense because for us, our families now for you know 20 centuries are Gentile converts to Christianity, right? I'm Irish, so everyone in my family at one point was a practicing Catholic. Um, and so you have this whole notion of like, to have an in, the, the personal or individual side of it is almost entirely lost within the corporate ecclesial dynamic of it. But I would say that's an impoverished ecclesial dimension of faith. It's not, a, it's not the one that Christ called, right? It's to have a, an ecclesial dimension of faith where there is no personal de- decision to follow Christ is insane, right? So that's why we have things like every time there is a sacrament and you have an adult, 
What is the th- the whole sacraments revolve around consent? Every single one of them. When you're getting baptized, you come here freely. What do you ask of the church? Right, baptism. What does it give you? Eternal life in Christ. Right. Every single one of them is punctuated with, you know, the the great. Um, what is it? Do you renounce Satan? All this pomps of works and empty right. promises. This is a massive amount of consent. Like here it is. This is what you're doing. Do you want to do this? Yes. It's not just about marriage, but all of them. Because what you said, you hit on it so perfectly. Christ is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride of Christ. So even in the corporate identity of the church, rooted in its most intimate way, is this bridegroom and bride relationship. Finally, I would say before we get to our you know our five practical takeaways and, and our break here, I would say it's just it would be near impossible to look to the witness of saints and deny that the church thinks we should have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You look at the female mystics of the church and the male mystics of the church; these men and women were filled with romantic desire for Jesus Christ and and God answered them as the bridegroom right as the groom it it's a beautiful beautiful testament to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ you could not look uh, you could not, in a very real or academic or an intellectually honest way, look at the life of St. Francis of Assisi, St. Bernard, St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, St. Catherine of Siena. You couldn't look at their lives in a real way and honestly say that what God is calling us to is anything but a personal, romantic, passionate relationship with him. There is nothing wrong with saying having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as a Catholic. In fact, we need to say it more, not less. And there is nobody, nobody who's not grasping at straws that it's attacking that phrase. And I would say, I would say the the word of caution when we describe this. Me and Dave are tend to be very passionate people. There are a whole class of people that exist in society who are not em- super emotionally driven. They get nervous when they hear this language because the language sounds like unless I'm super emotional and swept away in the romance of it, then that means I don't have faith. But what we are trying to say is all of that aspects of what it means to be a person is incorporated directly into your relationship with Christ. Right. It's not negated. So if you're a more subdued person, because you're not acting like the person next to you, doesn't mean you don't have faith. But what it does mean is, do you love God? In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He loves And us. sent his son to be the expiation for, my, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. How, does that, how do you love someone impersonally? Right, right. this can't. is we so we know and believe the love God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is beautiful. Here's the next verse that is almost the entire summary of Christian monastic spirituality. In this love perfected, in this is love perfected within us, that we might have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is, so are we in this world, right? So it's this notion of a spirituality of perfection, but it's perfection grounded in the love of God. Because if it's grounded in anything else, it becomes part of our pride, and pride ruins all this. I was just reading a reflection from a um, a German priest uh, this morning, and it said essentially it was if we 
achieve great things through our moral effort, but our love for God has gone cold, then what happens is even though we might be doing the right thing, quote unquote, pride swallows those good things up and turns them evil. Right, And so if we do it for the love of God and from the love of God, that's what changes even our most noblest deeds and prevents them from being wholly corrupted by pride and arrogance. Brothers and sisters, this has been the expose of <laughs> having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you, if you can't tell, you got both Gomer and I on our soapboxes here. You know, This is something that we're very passionate about. And uh, One more thing, Dave. One more thing. You ready right, for this? Right. Here's another ecclesial here. dimension of this personal relationship. First John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Right? And this is the commandment we have from him that he who loves God should love his brother also. The personal relationship does not negate the corporate ecclesial dimension of faith. Right? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is not to be cast off. And the reason why I keep harping on love is you can't get more intimate than love. You can't get more personal than that. Let's go to the break. Oh, man. If you have any questions about evangelization, discipleship, anything really at all, please feel free to email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. Also, if you haven't yet uh, rated us on iTunes, we would love it if you yes. went to yes. what, or whatever you use to listen to your podcast and give us a rating. Uh, we would be so happy. Um, again, uh, the people at Ascension Press have been so wonderful for putting on this podcast, and we hope that you'll support them and check out some of the awesome resources they have available. When we get back, we will be going into our five practical takeaways. Imagine this. You're walking down the street and a Christian at a table with a bunch of pamphlets asked you, have you been saved? What would you do? Would you know how to respond? Hi, I'm Dr. Andrew Swafford, and I'm co-presenter along with Jeff Cavins in Ascension's new Great Adventure Bible Study, Romans, the Gospel of Salvation. In this study, we teach you the biblical foundations for the Catholic teaching on salvation, how to explain salvation quickly and easily to non-Christians, what St. Paul really meant by works not leading to salvation, and how we can enter more deeply into Christ. Paul's letter to the Romans has been at the center of reflection, conversion, and controversy from the very beginning, and it's widely considered his greatest work. I invite you to start a small group in your home or parish and embark on this great adventure. Romans, the Gospel of Salvation is available for pre-order right now and for purchase on September 1st, 2019. To order, visit ascensionpress.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Every Knee Shall Bow. We are going to do our five practical takeaways. Dave, why don't you start us off? All right, number one for our five. I know you guys love these five practical takeaways. I know people write in about them all the time. <laughs> number one is this. I want you to pick a saint, all right, to get to know, and I want you to really just dive into their life, and more than just like Googling them, okay? Really try and get to know them uh, and know their relationship with Jesus. And, I, and I'll throw out a few that I think would be a good one. St. Bernard, I, I mentioned before, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, uh, St. Augustine would be a great one, you know, who talks very passionately about his personal relationship with Jesus. And finally, of course, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who uh, is, is the quintessential bride of Christ. <laughs> yeah, Francis has this great quote, or G.K. Chesterton has a great quote about Francis. He loved Christ, but not Christianity. 
And oh, it's so yeah. scandalous, but it's true. Mine, intercession. Pray for someone in your life whose love for Christ or his church has grown cold. Listen, we know we live in the age of scandal, and it can make us uh, lose so much faith, which is why reading the lives of saints, reading scripture, saying immerse in prayer can see us through these troubled times. But we also need to lift one another up. Show your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ by praying for them, especially if their love has grown cold. Number three, I know some of you probably were getting uncomfortable when Gomer and I were talking about having a passionate relationship, romantic almost even, relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, unfortunately, right, that's that's steeped in Scripture, okay? What I want you to do is read the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, whatever your, your Bible calls it, okay? The Song of Songs, and I want you to just prayerfully go through it, like this beautiful love poem uh, from God to us and from us to God, like this beautiful, amazing scriptural reference to what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you a quick funny story about Song of Songs? Yeah. Okay, here it goes. Here we go. I'm going to keep this short, people. I was on a live or a, a podcast with Luke from Catching Foxes. Me and him were on a podcast where this Catholic priest does trivia down in Louisiana called uh, the not Papal Inquisition. What is it called? Pap- uh, it's so funny. And it's this quiz show. And one of the bonus questions was, describe using the the language in Song of Songs chapter 4 of one's beloved. And I have this memorized because I had a conversion experience around Song of Solomon. And uh, it was so funny because I got the highest points in the history of the show because I got all the bonus points. Because you, you know, knew it. Because I knew everything by heart. And it was so funny. Luke is like, I don't know what any of this stuff is. Oh, your eyes, my dove, are, or yeah. your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is a flock of goats streaming down Mount Gilead, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. I have it all memorized, and so I crushed it. Anywho, Song of Songs, really good. Number four, community. <laughs> Host a dinner, but not a potluck. You provide everything. You pay for everything. You get everything ready. You make it classy. Whoa. And ask nothing from them in return, thus fulfilling what Christ said. When you throw a party, invite the poor, the blind, the lame, in short, those who cannot repay you, and thus will you have your reward. I'm telling you, it, it takes away the sting of, well, they didn't bring enough food, and I have anxiety right. about this. It's awesome. Right. It's awesome. Just do it as an, as an act of love. I love it. I love it. Finally, number five. Quick, do an examination of conscience. Take a look at your own relationship with Jesus Christ. Take away, uh, take a look at the the ways in which you've kind of avoided the personal aspect of it, uh, and focus a little bit too much on on the other aspects of it. And and really just take a, a nice time to pray and allow God to come into your life in a more intimate way than He has before. And this this is for all of us. Now, everyone can can grow in intimacy with God. It doesn't matter what level of spirituality you're at or or how long you've been following the Lord. But just take a, a, a moment to kind of examine your relationship, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Awesome. Uh, I want to thank our fine people over at Ascension Press for supporting us and letting us be a part of their family. Um, and I'd like to invite you to go check out AscensionPress.com, whatever we talked about. You got the new 99. You got the new Romans, uh, the Gospel of Salvation series that just came out. A lot of great stuff there. So big shout out to them. Thank you all and have a blessed week. We'll see you in a week. God bless. God bless.